Section 35 of Antonia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Antonia by George Sand, translated by George Burnham Ives. Section 35. Thereupon, with a strength of will which would have made him a remarkable man if he had had better instincts or better guidance, he determined to take a nap and slept quietly until the carriage entered the streets of Severus. Marcel was strongly tempted to order the coachman to return to Paris without his uncle's knowledge, but would the man have obeyed? Moreover, as Julian was out of the way, would it not be well to find out how Monsieur Antoine proposed to act with regard to Madame Thierry? He stood greatly in awe of her. Would he dare to tell her to her face that he proposed to take back his gifts? Sleep restored Monsieur Antoine to himself, that is to say, to his chronic state of deliberate aversion, jealous self-love and brooding resentment. They found Madame Thierry in front of a fine portrait of her husband, at which she was gazing earnestly, as if seeking in the cheering serenity of that refined face the confidence in the future which had always sustained that fascinating man's happy temperament. Marcel had just time to hurry into the room first and say to her hastily, "'Monsieur Antoine is at my heels. He is in a rage.' You can save everything by much patience and firmness. Mon Dieu, what shall I say to him? That you give back what he has given you, but that you thank him for it. Julie adores Julian. Everything depends on Uncle. Here he is. Will you leave me alone with him? Yes, he insists upon it, but I will be close at hand, ready to interfere if necessary. Marcel walked quickly into an adjoining cabinet, threw himself into a chair, and waited. Monsieur Antoine entered Madame Thierry's salon by the other door. He was less timid when he did not feel Marcel's searching eye fixed upon him. "'Your servant, Madame Andre,' he said on entering. "'Are you alone?' Madame Thierry rose, answered affirmatively, and courteously waved him to a chair." Her face, too, was greatly changed. She had passed several nights by her son's bedside, and when he insisted upon getting up and going away, despite her entreaties, she realized that the momentous crisis of the drama of his life was at hand. "'Your son is sick,' Monsieur Antoine began. "'Yes, Monsieur.' "'Seriously?' "'God grant that he is not.' "'Does he keep his bed?' He got up a short time ago. Can I see him? He has gone out, monsieur. Then he isn't so very sick. He was very sick until last night when he seemed a little better. What was the matter with him? Fever and delirium. Sunstroke? No, monsieur. Unhappiness, perhaps? Yes, monsieur, great unhappiness. Because he's in love? Yes, monsieur, but it's a stupid thing to be in love when one might be rich. It is of no use arguing about it, monsieur. 
Do you know what proposition I have come to make to you? No, monsieur. If you will send your son to America, I will place a considerable sum of money in his hands. I will direct his operations, and in ten years, he will return with 30,000 francs a year. On what conditions, monsieur? On condition that he says goodbye to a certain lady of our acquaintance, that's all. And if he refuses? If he refuses, and that is what I expect, I have been warned. A certain agreement between him and me with regard to that lady is null and void. Very good, monsieur, I understand. You have a right to do it, and we submit. But you can resist. You weren't consulted about accepting my presence. You didn't know the conditions agreed upon between Madame d'Estrelle and me. There is ground for a lawsuit, and I might lose it by means of a little bad faith on the part of my opponents. If you regard my son and myself as your opponents, you may rest easy, monsieur. We renounce your benefactions without a shadow of hesitation. Ah, yes, my benefactions. They are a burden to you. They make you blush. As we did not know that they put fetters on a person who is dear to us, they did not make us blush. Indeed, I may say, monsieur, added Madame Thierry, with a mighty effort due to her devotion to her son, your name would have been blessed in this house if we had been certain that we owed that generosity to your solicitude for our welfare. Whatever its cause, and brief as its duration has been, we have been happy, amid all our troubles and anxieties, to live in this house once more, and to enjoy to the full our most cherished memories. You bid us leave them, and we obey. But it remains for me to thank you. You, madame? said Antoine, gazing fixedly at her. Yes, for me to thank you for the two months that you have allowed me to pass here. The idea of never seeing the house again was very painful to me. It will be less so henceforth, and I shall look back to this brief stay here as to a last pleasant dream which will count for much in my life and for which I shall be indebted to you. Madame Thierry spoke in a sweet voice and with a refined accent which had always made her very fascinating. In his moments of spleen, Monsieur Antoine sourly called her the fine talker. He felt none the less the ascendancy of that still fresh voice which caressed his ear with mild and almost respectful words. He had but little comprehension of sentimental refinement, but it seemed to him that he had found the submissive instinct of which he was so greedy. Come, Madame André, he said, with the surly manner he always assumed when his ill humor was beginning to retreat. You know how to say all you want to say, but in reality you can't endure me. You may as well admit it. I do not hate anyone, monsieur, but you force me to confess that I am afraid of you. Nothing could have been more adroit than that reply. To inspire fear was, in Monsieur Antoine's opinion, the noblest attribute of power. He softened as if by a miracle, and said in an almost good-humored tone, Why in the devil are you afraid of me? 
Madame André had the penetration of women who have lived much in society and the shrewdness of a mother pleading her child's cause. She saw what a long step forward she had taken. She forgot, and this time most opportunely, that she was sixty years old and boldly decided to play the coquette, although it cost her more dearly to employ the ruse with Monsieur Antoine than with any other man. Brother, she said, it rested entirely with you to retain my confidence. I do not reproach you for betraying it. Your intentions were kind, but I misunderstood you. I was very young then, and in a plight where everything made me suspicious. I had had no experience of life. I thought that you were advising me to abandon Andre, whereas... Whereas I said to you in so many words, save him. Yes, that is true. Your action was dictated by affection for him. Well, you see, I was blind, obstinate, whatever you choose to call it. But confess that you ought to have forgiven me for that, have treated me like the child I was, and become my brother once more as in the past. You want me to admit that? Why, you always showed me that cold shoulder after that. It was your place to laugh at my coldness and to take my hand and say, Sister, you're a little fool. Let us embrace and forget the past. Ah, you think that I should have? The more entirely one is in the right, the more generous he should be. You talk that way now. It is never too late to see what is right and to arrange things that are out of place. So, now you are sorry that you wounded me. I am sorry for it. But if I ask your pardon, will you grant it? Ah, the deuce. It's not the same thing now, my fine lady. You need me now. Yes, Monsieur Antoine, I do need you. My son is mad with grief. Marry him to the woman he loves. Ah, there we are, cried Monsieur Antoine flying into a rage again. We have been there all the time, replied Madame Thierry. I have asked you for nothing since you have been here except liberty of action for Madame d'Estrelle. Yes, with plenty of money for everybody. No, no money, nothing. The sacrifice is made. Let us remain here as tenants. We will gladly pay for the privilege. And... If you are not willing, why, your will shall be done. But turn us away without hatred, and forgive us for being happy. For we shall be, even in poverty, if our hearts are content with one another, if we can say to one another that our happiness is no longer a source of affliction to you. Monsieur Antoine felt that he was beaten. He was ashamed of it, and clung to the last straw. That is your pride, he said. It's always the same thing, however you change it. The rich man's money is the object of your scorn. You snap your fingers at it. Take it all back. We want nothing. We haven't any needs. We live on air. What is this money? No better than pebbles to sensible minds. And yet, my fine lady... Money honestly earned by a man who had nothing on his side but his natural genius ought to count for something. 
It's the working bee's honey. It's the tropical flower which is made to bloom in an artificial climate by the patience and skill of a master gardener. Ah, that is nothing, you think. With all this wit, my poor brother only succeeded in using up the money he earned by working like a hod carrier. But I know how to make a different use of money. I save it. I add to it every day. And I make people happy when I choose. What are you driving at, Monsieur Antoine? asked Madame Thierry as she saw Marcel making unintelligible signs to her through the door behind Monsieur Antoine. I am driving at this, that you are not so good a mother as you think. You are willing to sacrifice everything to your son except your contempt for the money that comes from me. In heaven's name, do you think I stole it? Does my gold stink? But why, in heaven's name, do you say such things to me? Why do you suppose that I refuse you the esteem you deserve? Because if you were a good mother, instead of talking this sort of nonsense to me, you would say, Brother, we are unfortunate and you are rich. You can save us. We are a little out of our heads. We want to pay court to Madame d'Estrel. But that is no reason for leaving us without bread. Come, forgive us for everything at once. Indulge us with love and with bread to eat. It is humiliating to us, but no matter. We know that you are a noble-hearted and generous man. You will have pity on us and grant us all we ask. Yes, Madame André, that is what you would say, what you would ask on your knees, if, instead of being a great lady, you were really a good mother. Madame Thierry was speechless with surprise. She looked at Marcel, who, unseen by Monsieur Antoine, urged her by most energetic pantomime to yield to the old fellow's whim. The poor woman had a sinking at the heart, but she did not hesitate. She slipped from the chair to her hassock, on which she knelt, and said, taking both Monsieur Antoine's hands, "'You are right, brother. You teach me my duty. I surrender. Be the noblest of men. Forgive everything and grant everything.' "'At last! Good!' cried Monsieur Antoine, rising." And when people are reconciled, they embrace, don't they? Madame Thierry embraced him, and Marcel entered to congratulate them. Well, said the horticulturist, you're a great fool, aren't you, Master Pettifogger? It was very pretty, your scheme of rebellion, to smash and break everything. What? Reduce your client and your family to want, all rather than give way to the rich man? the powerful man, the natural enemy of those who have nothing and don't know how to earn anything, a fine solicitor, on my word, who can't obtain anything for his clients but love and rye bread. Luckily, women are brighter than that. Here are two who sent me to the devil, and both of them have bent the knee to me tonight. Well, it is done, madame, my sister. I shall never remind you of this. For I am generous, and when people do what I want, I know how to reward them. Your son shall marry the fair countess, whom I must turn out of her house because of what the world may say. 
but the hotel d'estrelle with 25,000 francs a year shall be Julian's marriage portion. That's the way I do things. And I know that you will thank me for it tomorrow, in earnest, for I am not deceived by the politics of the present day. But you have done what I wanted. You have submitted. I asked nothing but that. You shall have more than that, said Madame Thierry. You shall have the affection of warm and sincere hearts, and you shall know such happiness as you might have known long ago. But we will do all we can to make up for lost time. That is mere talk, said Monsieur Antoine. Happiness is being one's own master, and I don't need anybody to be mine. I don't like brats and mawkish sentiment. I wasn't made to be the father of a family but I could have governed a country very well if I had been born a king. It has always been my whim to command, and I reign over whatever is within my reach much better than many monarchs who don't know what they are doing. End of section 35